Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today, we're going to talk about excision surgery. Now, we want to build off previous episodes that we've done on endometriosis treatment. So please check out episode number 16 because we did a general overview there of hormones, GnRH drugs, hysterectomy, excision, and ablation in that episode. Many of you listening are already familiar with the potential pros, cons, and limitations of these options. And if not, then we really encourage you to go back and listen to episode 16. So today we're going to talk all about excision. And since many of us are indeed familiar with excision, we're just going to give a brief overview on what it is, because we know that some of us listening are brand new to excision. So we want to explain the difference between ablation and excision, resources on how to find a surgeon, and we're going to go through that part pretty quickly. And then we're going to slow down. Get to the good stuff. We're going to jump into the (laughs) meat. Ew. I don't want to jump into any meat. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be a beef stew, Brittany. You can jump in and you can find all the vegetables. How about a potato leek? (laughs) Float on a a carrot. (laughs) Okay, I'll take that. (laughs) So we're going to jump into the meat and vegetables of the episode, (laughs) which is more in-depth information on excision and recurrence and how not all excision is equal. And knowing us, we'll probably have to split it off into two to three more episodes since we tend to talk a lot. A lot. Or so at least I've been told. (laughs) (laughs) I feel another episode saga coming on, the Excision series. Ooh. A new season coming to a podcast app near you. (laughs) Sounds like a TV show now. (laughs) (laughs) We also just want to add that while in today's episode we're going to talk about excision surgery, Brittany and I are not pushing excision or any other kind of treatment on anyone. Our goal is to bring forward information that we have learned ourselves because we fully believe that having as much information and understanding as possible can help us make a more informed decision. And whatever decisions that you make about your treatment, Brittany and I support you because we know firsthand that these decisions are not easy to make. We recognize that surgery is not one-size-fits-all. In fact, no endo treatment is one-size-fits-all. Additionally, some people may not be able to have surgery. And also, any surgery has risks, complications can occur, and no outcome is guaranteed, even if you have a surgery with a top excision surgeon. Excision isn't equal among all surgeons either, and we'll discuss this more in depth throughout this three-part series. But since it's your surgeon that does the excision, your surgeon's skills play a huge role. Not the only role, but a huge role in the outcome of your surgery. 
So we hope that this information today in our episode is going to give you an overview of some factors of excision, possibly even give you talking points to bring to your doctor to discuss. And if you have any questions about what we talk about, then just please reach out to us on Instagram or via email, and we're happy to clarify something or provide you further resources. So what is excision? I don't know, Brittany, tell us. Well, I'm gonna. We'll do it already. <laughs> so this is the speedy part. First, I'm going to mention that the most common type of endometriosis surgery is actually ablation. I'm going to get to excision in a second. Ablation is the superficial burning of the endometriosis tissue on the surface level. So it burns it at the surface. But the gold standard treatment for endometriosis is excision surgery. Because what excision does is actually remove the disease at the root. It cuts it out. I saw some surgical videos online of excision versus ablation. And I think watching videos like actual surgery, just like short clips of a couple minutes each. But I found one video where they showed excision and you see them there like isolating the endometriosis and kind of like pulling it up. Kind of like when you pull up, like you pinch your skin and pull it up and like pulling it up and then cutting underneath and around the whole area and and gross. Yeah, mostly fascinating. Cutting around the whole area. And when it's done, like the endometriosis is gone. And then in a different video, they were showing the ablation technique. And it was incredible because it really, it was like you just had a blowtorch and just you were going on top of the skin like with a blowtorch. It was like And it was just just burning and you were watching how the skin was, I don't know, like, you know, when something burns, it kind of like puckers. Yeah, puckers. The two afterwards, the tissues look completely different. Night and day, literally. (laughs) Yeah, because underneath the excision, the part that had been excised, the tissue was all healthy. Like all that tissue is now healthy and pink and like really beautiful tissue. And then the one for ablation, it was just burned and puckered and, you know, the endometriosis was still there underneath the part that had got burned. And so it just became really clear, like conceptually in my mind, the difference between cutting the disease out and then just burning the disease on the top of it. So, Amy, tell us why excision is the gold standard for treatment. Well, Brittany, so one of the advantages of excision is that, as we said, it actually removes the endometriosis. So since it actually removes tissue from the body, rather than just burning the top of the tissue, that tissue can be sent to pathology for confirmation that it's endometriosis. So A bonus. <laughs> yeah. So as you can imagine, like, okay, when I lived in Japan, they, I don't know if they have that here, like in sushi restaurants. But when I lived in Japan, sometimes you'd order a sushi. And then sometimes the sushi would come and then the chef would come to the table and then he would take a blowtorch and then he would torch the top of the sushi, like torch Mm -hmm. the fish. And so it would kind of be like still raw in the middle, but on the top it would... Charred. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh God, it was so tasty. (laughs) It would start, this little fish would start dripping its fat. And ablation kind of reminds me of that. Like you have a sushi of endometriosis in your body, and then they take a blowtorch, and then they torch the top of it. It's like a creme brulee, but inside me. (laughs) (laughs) So as you can imagine, when they torch the top, they don't get any tissue because they're just burning the top. Mm -hmm. But with excision, if the sushi chef came to the table and then was like, 
oh, on this strip of fish on top of your sushi, there's a fish bone in the middle. So I'm going to go ahead and excise that fish bone out. So then he comes with his handy dandy scalpel, chef scalpel. <laughs> and he... Your chef has a scalpel. <laughs> Run. <laughs> hey. People are introducing very innovative culinary techniques and <laughs> tools true. nowadays. That's true. So I'll if he that. has a scalpel, you might be like, ooh, forward thinking. <laughs> so instead of coming with his flamethrower, he comes with his scalpel and he cuts out the fish bone. And then he says, oh, voila. That's safe. Although voila is French and he's <laughs> in Japan, but sometimes. But he can say voila too. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes cultures collide. And that's kind of, for me, like the difference between the two of them. Mm. And so... You know, when you can actually, like, pull out the fishbone and hold the fishbone in your hand the way you can pull out the endometriosis tissue and hold it in your hand with excision versus just charring that thing on the top. So that is a huge advantage is that they can actually send it to pathology and they can confirm what the tissue is. And they can say, okay, yes, that is definitely endometriosis or, or that's something different. All right, Brittany, now you tell me a reason why excision is the gold standard. I think a very strong reason as to why it's the gold standard has to do with the rate of recurrence. So at many centers that are experts in endometriosis and excision surgeries, they keep statistics from their patients on the rate of recurrence slash persistence of endometriosis. So this rate tends to be around 7 to 20 percent. Many people who have excision find that their pain is significantly reduced or their quality of life has improved after excision. With ablation, however, many people find that their pain returns within just months of the surgery. With ablation, the disease is expected to persist since the endometriosis wasn't truly removed in the first place. So the reason why excision is the gold standard is because that rate of recurrence and persistence, being 7 to 20%, is so much lower when compared to ablation. I'll add to that point you just said, Brittany, about people having an improvement in their quality of life after excision. We have a lot of evidence that excision provides more resolution to pain and symptoms and longer lasting resolution than ablation or hormonal medications. We're actually going to look at some of the research on quality of life comparisons before and after excision in part three. But to keep it brief for now, we just want to mention a helpful resource, and that is on the CEC's website, they've put together references from a few dozen research articles showing the results for excision. And these 50-plus articles are actually to answer a patient question, which is, quote, My doctor thinks excision and endometriosis treatment centers are all hype and that the disease can be treated by anyone through basic laparoscopy, drug suppression, and down the road, hysterectomy. Do you have any references supporting the use of excision? So there on that webpage, it is all laid out, plenty of articles on how excision has helped people have a significant improvement in their painful sex, their bowel symptoms, their painful menstruation, chronic pain, and more. Another reason why excision is considered the gold standard is because excision can generally safely be performed anywhere in the body to remove the endometriosis. But with ablation surgery and that burning of the endometriosis, that, like we said, just like coming and almost looking like a blowtorch, just like charring the top of your endometriosis sushi, there's so much heat generated with this ablation surgery. 
And so it can be really difficult or impossible to do ablation on really delicate tissues like the bladder or the intestines. Typically, the excision surgeon works with a multidisciplinary team. So if there is involvement of the bladder or the bowel or the lungs or the diaphragm or some other place besides like the kind of typical pelvic endometriosis, then the excision surgeon will work with this team, will work with a general surgeon or a bowel surgeon or a urology surgeon or urologic surgeon. Urologic? And or a thoracic. Urological. (laughs) Or a bladder surgeon or a thoracic surgeon. So, you know, I think we need to keep in mind that endometriosis surgery is so challenging and it is renowned in the field of gynecology as being the most difficult surgery. It takes at such a high level of skill to remove endometriosis from your body to completely excise it, to remove it from all of those delicate tissues and, you know, and then to separate organs that have fused together with adhesions. And I've seen surgical videos and gosh, I mean, it is like spider webs everywhere. Well, it's amazing because it's just sometimes the organs become this mass, this like hunk of just tissue. And then the surgeon's like, yeah, this top bit is the bladder and that bottom bit is the bowel and that's the ovary. How and can you're you like, tell? It all looks like one giant blob. It does. It looks like a big piece of like fibrotic jello. It's fascinating. You know, and then so slowly and meticulously over like an hour or more, they're, they're just separating tissues. The surgery is just, they're such complicated surgeries and they truly need the skills and the experience of an expert. And I think we hear that many of us know this and, and we've heard that so many times, but when we see the videos on it, it's just truly like, <gasps> wow. <laughs> it really makes it hit home. It is just, wow. It's like your sushi chef trying to, you have a ball of rice, the sticky rice, like the Japanese rice. Sushi rice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you know, and then you have that rice and you squish it together in your hand and all the rice is squished together. And then the sushi chef comes and has to just delicately remove every one rice. Little grain. I was going to say gland. (laughs) Ew. (laughs) One rice gland. Ew. One endometriosis rice gland from another and another and another. (laughs) Cute. Thank you. (laughs) I don't know. Never heard it. Wow. I think it's a song from the 80s. Anyway, oh, it's, it's the endometriosis sushi song now. <laughs> okay, Brittany, so I think we've established that excision surgery is the gold standard. So tell us, in five words or less, why aren't all gynecological surgeons doing excision surgery? Five words or less. I don't have five words or less for my real definition, but my abridged reason is... Because not everyone likes sushi. (laughs) That's my abridged version. Ooh, five words there. (laughs) Who doesn't like sushi? Who? We're not friends with them. I don't know. (laughs) No, it's okay if you don't like sushi. (laughs) Plus, sushi in America is pretty different from sushi in Japan. Yeah, it should be called something completely different. It should. It should be called like Americushi. (laughs) (laughs) I miss Japan. I miss the food. I want real sushi. Okay, the moment of sushi morning is past. <laughs> okay. So the real reason, not my five words or less reason, my reasoning is, one, to know a little bit of context, is that the majority of gynecologists do ablation surgery. They don't do excision surgery. It's estimated that there's only about 200, 200, 200 
excision specialists in the U.S. Oh, my gosh. I bet there are more sushi chefs in the U.S. than excision surgeons. <laughs> uh, by a ton. Probably like, <laughs> mo- like 10 times wow. more. <laughs> well, and that's just in the U.S., but worldwide, there's not many more. So for all of the 200 million people living with endometriosis, there's a couple hundred surgeons that can perform excision That's such a big ratio. Like, oh, my gosh. So we have a higher chance of eating sushi in a landlocked state than we do at getting excision surgery. Uh, Yeah. In the capital of some big. Technically, we're not landlocked, but it feels like we are. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yep. So as I mentioned, most gynecologists do ablation surgery because there's complicated reasons why excision hasn't been widely adopted by the gynecological community. Well, get to it already, Brittany. She's five words or less, five paragraphs or less. (laughs) Well, there's some, you know, politics involved, and that always makes things interesting. So part of this comes back to the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, or ACOG. Our beloved ACOG. (laughs) (laughs) And ACOG's medical oversight bodies who are responsible for failing to recognize endometriosis as a subspecialty. Oh, wait and also failing to recognize the correct definition of endometriosis on their website. Mm -hmm. That's not hindering us at all. Anything. No. No. (laughs) Not at all. Couldn't imagine why it would. Ridiculous. So because they won't recognize endometriosis as a subspecialty, training is lacking and fellowships are lacking. If it was widely recognized, we could have a standardization of the title, how someone becomes a specialist, qualifications, standardize additional training to understand the complexity of endo, then we could actually rely on and believe the certification and quality of our surgeons. Right now, a surgeon can say what they'd like. There's no governing body to whether or not that is true. So really, your sushi chef here in the United States could be like, I'm an endometriosis specialist. And That's fine. They could say that because there's no terminology. There's no definition of the term endometriosis specialist. Yeah, it's as if you were to say, "Okay, well, I'm a line cook, which is nothing wrong with being a line cook. But if you were a line cook and you went to a customer and said, I'm the head chef, but your qualification and your ability were not at the head chef, then, of course, you're not going to be able to perform at head chef level. But you can just say you are. And that's kind of the case here with expertise level and qualification level. You can't say whatever you want, but there is no standard on whether or not you meet the qualification to say that you are an expert. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to make some business cards and I'm going to put endometriosis expert or (laughs) endometriosis specialist on my business cards or on my Instagram. I'll just put endometriosis specialist. Ooh. I mean, I I wouldn't take yours really as lying. At this point, you probably are probably more expert than most of the doctors we've talked to about endometriosis. (laughs) All right. That's it. Anyone who feels that they're knowledgeable in endometriosis, go put the word endometriosis specialist. Yeah, there you go. Endometriosis expert specialist. (laughs) If you have over 100 logged hours, you are now an expert. (laughs) So another huge issue as to why excision hasn't been adopted. How huge? Huge, huge. Huge. (laughs) Like that big ginormous sushi hunk of roll, California <laughs> avocado, mango, whatever. The giant Amerikushi roll, yes. <laughs> that huge. Okay, so another huge issue is billing coding. So in the U.S., there's no billing code for insurance for excision. 
Of course there's not. (laughs) Of course. So the surgeon is paid for an excision, the same that they would be paid for an ablation. But the excision obviously is much more extensive and takes much more time and much more skill and much more expertise. Hours. Yes. Versus? (laughs) Versus a quick peek and shriek ablation. Oh, my God. (laughs) I love that when Heather, when we interviewed Heather from the CC, and she's like, oh, and ablation is the peak and shriek is paid the same it. as what do they what do the surgeons do when they get in they they open up through the little minimally invasive cuts they open you up and they peek they peek in and then they see all the end of and they go we don't know what to do about this shriek <laughs> <laughs> and then what? they just burn it a little bit and close you back up we're not qualified <laughs> to deal with this zap 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 okay we're done here yep. That's that's close. Exactly it up. It. And they're like, we got everything. <laughs> In 20 minutes, we were able to do many shrieks, many burns, and you're good to go. <laughs> See you in a couple months. <laughs> we should have a contest with all the sushi chefs and be like, how many mega Amerikushi rolls can you make in 20 oh minutes? <laughs> wow, that's a lot. Just have visions of sushi dancing in my head. <laughs> yeah, obviously, that is completely unfair to the surgeons involved who spend hundreds or even thousands of hours of extra training to learn excisional techniques to be able to delicately remove endometriosis, size it at the root and all those different tissues and the involvement of all the different multidisciplinary surgeons and teams, depending on where the locations of endo is in the body, to just get paid the same amount as if they did a very short ablation, quick zap, quick burn surgery. And this is why many excision surgeons are out-of-network providers here in the United States so that they don't have to be punished by the ridiculous insurance reimbursement system. And that gives them the freedom to actually provide patient-centered quality care, not care that is dictated by the insurance companies. And another point that we'll just bring up now is the influence of big pharma on endometriosis care. And there are huge, huge, huge interests and influences involved in trying to keep endometriosis as a disease, or as some would say, reclassified to a syndrome. We'll talk about that in an upcoming episode. But there's major influences to keep endometriosis as a disease that should be medically managed instead of surgically treated. And this topic is long and complex, and we're actually going to devote an entire episode to it coming up in a couple of months on some of the practices that we see from Big Pharma to change the narrative around endometriosis care. All of these things that we just talked about, all of this trickles down into our care. All this affects all of us directly, although it might seem so far removed, like, oh, well, who cares what is happening with my insurance company or who cares what's happening with big interest, big money, big pharma, big Amerikushi sushi rolls. (laughs) The truth is it's harming us. It's harming our care. And we see that because as so many of us know, unfortunately, there are so many barriers to access excision surgery. The cost, the location of where the surgeons are, the insurance hurdles that they say a comprehensive care can be done by a different surgeon in network. And that surgeon is just a regular gynecologist who doesn't even do excision, but the insurance companies believe that it's the same thing. There's really long wait times oftentimes when you want to see an excision surgeon. There can be wait time of months and months. I had to wait months in order to get an appointment with my excision surgeon. 
And then it got pushed back. And you had to wait once again, actually. And then it got pushed back. Yeah. And a lot of us have seen that happen, too, with COVID. Our surgeries get canceled. And there's so many hurdles, you know. And I would say even there's a lack of referrals. It can be really, really hard to get a referral to an excision surgeon or just an endometriosis specialist who is more knowledgeable because there's an inadequate education among doctors that excision is the gold standard, that sometimes we can be with our GP or our regular gynecologist, and they're this gatekeeper that can either allow us to go through the door to access excision or stay on the other side of this wall, and we can't get through because they won't write us a referral, because they think the care that they're giving us is the care that we'll get anywhere, and that's not the truth. And so unfortunately, our gold standard of care, excision, It really does remain a privilege that the majority cannot access. And this is unacceptable. This is disgraceful. And this is heartbreaking. So many of us are out here advocating. I know there's medical professionals. Many excision surgeons are advocating. And hopefully all of us can come together to make a change that excision in the future will become the standard of care. I had this pop into my head about how we should have a motto, like the Three Musketeers, you know how they say all for one and one for all? I didn't know they said that, but now I do. (laughs) But we should instead say excision for all and all for excision. (laughs) It's our new motto that we're going to live by. (laughs) Joke aside, Amy and I both truly hope that excision becomes the standard of care in the future. And that if you would like access to excision and you haven't been able to access it, that it will become available to you. So, Brittany, we've established that excisions should be all for one and one. (laughs) All for excision and excision for all. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And everyone gets sushi in their recovery. Ooh. (laughs) If you want. (laughs) Therapeutic. I like it. (laughs) If you want, yes. Whatever. But if you want it. But basically, if you want it, you get it. If you yes. want excision, you get excision. If you want sushi, you get sushi. Good sushi, not American. Not American. Not American. Also, like, okay, when I go to the store, sometimes my boyfriend eats the sushi. Well, I'll look in the back of the package, and there's like the ingredient list is the size of your forearm. Ingredients. Yep. The ingredient list spans like the entire bag. I don't and know it's how. Like, one of the first ingredients is high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> yep. I'm like, mm, pretty sure in Japan it was just rice and vinegar, wasabi, yeah. and a piece of fish. And somehow a really healthy, nourishing meal turned into that 45 <laughs> the colors you know because probably a lot of the fish that they use is yeah, farm so they have to with add pink for color. the salmon yeah oh my gosh i'm just like this is what america does yes it just every- synthesizes everything <laughs> i want to pause for a second to touch on excision and insurance and a commonly held or said misconception is that all excision surgeons in the united states are out of network That's a misconception. It's untrue. In fact, Amy's excision surgeon was in network. And she's spoken to various other people who have had excision surgery whose surgeons were also in network for them as well. Now, that is not to say that that is a common experience. Many of the top doctors are not in network. And many people who do seek excision surgery are not able to find a surgeon that's in network. And this is due to all the reasons that we discussed. Oh, you mean excision surgery being paid the same as the peak and streak? Yes. The peak and streak. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) 
It's also a misconception that doctors who are in network are not as adequate, equipped, or have a high skill level as doctors who are out of network. There are some doctors who are out of network with minimal skill level who charge high fees because they're out of network. And there are also surgeons in network who have a high level of skill, but also low fees because they are in network. So it's not true that being in network or out of network says anything about the surgeon's expertise or skill. Yeah, I think in the end, I mean, it all comes back down to what we keep saying. It's about the surgeon's skill level, the surgeon's experience. There are platforms out there to help you get a start on where to look for an excision surgeon, on what to ask. And again, please check out the resources on my website. I have linked all these resources from reputable sites to help you find an excision surgeon. All right, Brittany, excision is perfect, right? Um, no, not perfect. I'm like perfect. Me. No, I'm perfect. <laughs> I'm perfect. I'm perfect. Excision is perfect. No. Sushi is perfect. Nothing is perfect. Not American sushi. A piece of Japanese sushi, maybe perfect, <laughs> but nothing else is perfect in this life, okay? Excision isn't perfect. That's sad. I know. Nothing is. That's why it's the gold standard, not the cure. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, as we mentioned before, endometriosis may recur or persist in about 7 to 20% of people. Now, that rate of recurrence or persistence depends on the person, also the surgeon's skill, the surgeon's training. There's also a difference between persisting and reoccurring. Which we'll talk about soon. Sneak peek. And not all excision surgeons are created equal. (laughs) Not all their skill is equal. Not all of what they consider to be expert is equal. That's why the medical community needs to focus on improving excision and stop wasting time, money, quality of life, all of these things. Our lives. Our lives on ineffective treatment. We're going to get into that giving you so many sneak previews in the last two seconds. <laughs> well, remember that, Brittany, this is the brief overview. For yeah, the, but we got to let them know what's coming. I, for the it's a teaser in. trailer. Ooh. <laughs> okay, so now you're definitely like, oh my gosh, I need to eat sushi in Japan. I need to fly <laughs> to Japan. I need to Not right now, order the sushi <laughs> that they blow torch on top. Oh, <laughs> God, I miss sushi so bad. <laughs> so you're like, okay. I really want an excision surgeon. So the thing is, as we said, there are not many excision surgeons worldwide, and it can be really hard to find an excision surgeon, especially depending on where you live and other factors. I kind of feel like finding an excision surgeon, a qualified excision surgeon, is akin to trying to spot a white tiger out in the wild. Ooh. It's akin to trying to find Waldo (gasps) in all of those Where's Waldo Waldo drawings. (laughs) It's akin to finding a needle in the haystack. Oh. Herding cats. (laughs) Getting cats to walk in a parade. Oh. Tickling a mosquito under the elbow with a telegraph pole. I'm sorry, what? You lost me there. (laughs) You lost me. I actually looked those up. I was was with you and now I'm not. (laughs) I was like, what are metaphors, like similar metaphors for finding a needle in a haystack and all these came up. Tickling a mosquito under the elbow with a telegraph pole. Clearly extraordinarily difficult. Wow. (laughs) Okay. So for some of us, tickling a mosquito under the elbow is easier than finding an excision surgeon. Yeah, yeah. 
That explains why I'm covered in mosquito bites. <laughs> You've been a lot of tickling. <laughs> I'm like, I know if I can just tickle this mosquito's elbow, I'll then find my excision search. <laughs> it's like a new luck charm. <laughs> the two are linked somehow. I don't think so. Don't go tickling mosquitoes, please. Okay, so, but why is it so hard to find a qualified excision surgeon? Were you not paying attention to no! anything that I and you no. yourself explained? I was thinking about sushi the whole time, and then I got distracted <laughs> with mosquitoes and telegraph poles. Maybe what you, you can, expect from me? They can make a new sushi. Mosquito sushi. Ew. I mean. <laughs> Muskushi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just really into that ushi ending right now. My suffix for everything for the rest of the day is going to be ushi. You're welcome. How would you do excision then? Excushi. <laughs> Told you, I can do it for anything. How would you do endo? Endometriushi. <laughs> this skill, I, I'm cultivating it, I guess. Okay, so if you're looking for an endometriushi surjushi, <laughs> apparently I'm not as good wow, as Brittany. Wow, but that was good. Thank you. Okay, so as we mentioned, it's so hard because there are so few. As we mentioned, there is no standardization of the title. So anyone can just go out there and be like, oh, I'm an expert in endo, including me. That's what my business card and my Instagram profile now say <laughs> as I've changed and updated them. Since there are no formal standard in gynecology to qualify someone to use that title, I'm using that title. Go yeah. for it. And my cat is using that title, too. My katushi. Is <laughs> <laughs> Sukiyushi. My kitty Yushi. <laughs> And so I think that's something that is really vital to keep in mind is that even if you find a self-proclaimed excision expert or a self-proclaimed endometriosis expert, it's really, really important to vet your excision surgeon. So that means you ask the surgeon questions. You essentially you interview and interrogate. No, just mm-hmm. kidding. Possibly. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you hold a sushi blowtorch to their, light. to their neck. <laughs> oh, Lord. Light. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that, please, people. <laughs> too violent. Too violent. But essentially, you need to ask questions to the surgeon to truly figure out the qualifications because anyone can say that they are an excision surgeon or an expert endometriosis. And I think there certainly are reports of people saying that they thought they were getting excision, but it turns out that they received ablation or, you know, they thought their surgeon was qualified to do excision in all parts of the body. But then later it turned out that the surgeon couldn't and left endo behind. And so it's so, so important to ask questions to our surgeons because in the answers the surgeons give, you can see the qualifications. So essentially you're doing like a reverse job interview. You're interviewing the surgeon to see if you want to hire them to open your body and do a peek and shriek. No, not a peek and shriek. (laughs) (laughs) To open your body and excise your endometriosis. Open your body with minimal, tiny incisions. You want to ask your surgeon questions to distinguish not only if they're an excision surgeon, but if they're an expert excision surgeon. So we just mentioned that there are some surgeons who call themselves excision surgeons, but they only do ablation. But there are also surgeons who do a combination of ablation and excision. And so, for example, let's say the surgeon typically excises endometrioma, so they call themselves an excision surgeon, but then they ablate superficial peritoneal lesions. So it's not just do you do excision, but do you 
only do excision? And then if it's yes, then do you do expert excision? What is their skill level and experience? Some excision surgeons may unintentionally leave endometriosis behind because they don't have the skills to recognize subtle appearances of endometriosis. Or maybe they don't excise deep enough or with wide enough margins. So for the best outcome, we really cannot stress enough that the surgeon must be a high-volume excision surgeon who can safely operate with excision on complex cases of endometriosis, a surgeon who has good outcomes and very low complication rates. Okay, Amy, I'm a little overwhelmed. This is a lot of information. Some of it I knew, some of it I didn't know that I didn't know. I'm very overwhelmed. How do I find a surgeon? I need to know how to find a surgeon. Where's my excision surgeon? Where's my needle in the haystack? Where's my mosquito being tickled by a telegraph pole? Where does it exist? Where's my Waldo? Where's my perfection? Where's my sushi? I want a piece of Chutoro delivered to me right now. (laughs) Okay, luckily, people have put together resources to find excision surgeons. So what I've done is on my website, which is in 16years.com, I put together an end overview. And there I have a whole section on treatment. And I wrote out everything that we already talked about today. Well, almost everything, not the part about uh, Big Pharma. But (laughs) keep keep those words off the internet. But everything else I have written about, the difference between ablation and excision, the importance of vetting your surgeon, why excision is the gold standard, that is all on my website in 16years.com. If you go there, I've also linked platforms that can help you identify excision surgeons. I've also gone ahead and I've linked all the past episodes that we've done on treatment. So the big overview, number 16, the mega Lupron and Orlissa series that we mega. are still feeling extraordinarily <laughs> exhausted still from. Tired. I had a huge uptick in my fatigue during the months that we did that series. So. I had a huge downtick in brain capacity. <laughs> <laughs> Spent some of it. I'm never getting it back. <laughs> okay, we sacrifice for this episode, people. If you haven't heard them, please listen. Please support us in that way. <laughs> please. And if you like the podcast, please leave a review or share on social media. For that pain alone. (laughs) Gentle plug. (laughs) For that pain alone. Help others find our hard work. (laughs) Additionally, I've linked two sets of questions that you can use to vet your surgeon. One is from Endo Girls blog. And one is from Melissa at 86 The Endo. And by the way, Melissa has a really fabulous planner, which I own, which I love. The planner keeps me organized, so definitely check it out for your own organization. But her planner is so lovely. You can track your symptoms and your food and your hydration, your pain levels, and more. And it's just a super comprehensive way to track your endo or your histamine problems. Yes. (laughs) Both. (laughs) I track both in different colors. (laughs) And it's really nice because then once you find your excision surgeon, your qualified surgeon, you can show them your fabulous planner. And see patterns in your disease and see your triggers. So I've linked Melissa's website, which has the planner and the questions. Additionally, I've linked Melissa has a great resource on how she got her insurance to approve her excision surgery. Just want to give a little clap for that. Bravo. Because that is like huge, huge hurdles is getting insurance to pay for it. So fabulous job, Melissa. And thank you for making that resources and sharing that with all of us. So I have a lot of really good goodies in the treatment section of my website. And so if you're overwhelmed or you're like, where do I start? 
It's really nice because it has an overview I've written up and then it has outside links to resources. We really, really hope if you want to have excision surgery that you will be able to find a surgeon either now or in the future. All right, Brittany, that was our quick overview, which may or may not have been so quick, but we didn't just want to leave you <laughs> hanging. Need the context, you know? So we had that overview. Now we're going to jump into the beef stew of the episode. Beef stew? I thought we decided on sushi. Well, oh, yeah. potato leek no, soup no, no, we, was what I decided We're going to jump into the miso soup. Oh, I'll go with that. Yes. Mm. Of the episode. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> All right, so Amy, I want you to take a guess for me. All right, I'll take a gander. I okay. just want to use the word gander. Like a goose. <laughs> like a goose and a gander, yes. So I want you to take a guess as to what gander. you think. I want you to take a gander. Thank you. A gander is a look, by the way. But anyway, I want you to take a guess at what you think is one of the biggest factors of the outcome of your excision surgery. That the surgeon eats sushi before the surgery to get energy from all the high fructose corn syrup in American sushi. (laughs) You really want the doctor having serious brain fog from the carbs and sugar before he cuts you open? No. What is it? What's the what is the most important factor? You've heard of operator error, but have you heard of operator dependent? I've heard of depends, which I wear often (laughs) when my bowel or my bladder is acting up. But what is operator dependent? So basically, it means it depends on the operator. So one of the biggest factors of the outcome of your excision surgery is the operator. So in this case, the surgeon and what their skill level is. That seems pretty obvious to me, but just keep telling me why. Okay. Well, think about this. If you don't have a lot of experience or you haven't worked with endo before, you haven't done many excision surgeries or you haven't seen many examples of endo, How are you supposed to recognize all the various appearances of endo? By guessing. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just guess to cut this tissue out. A guess and a gander. (laughs) A gander and a guess. (laughs) A look and a guess. Not really the best approach to take. It's not like when you just want to cook and you're like, I didn't have a recipe. I'll just throw anything in the yeah, pot. You can't really wing it. it. You can't wing it. It's like baking where you have to be exact or it's going to come out a mess. So this is similar to that. In a previous episode, we've talked about all of the colors and all of the variations of how endometriosis appears. So if a surgeon doesn't have a well-trained eye or a well-practiced eye and isn't familiar with all those various presentations of endo, then they'll miss it. Okay, but what happens if the surgeon misses an endo lesion and just thinks that's normal tissue? Like, that's not really a big deal, is it? So if you put salt instead of sugar in your cookie recipe, it's not really a big deal, is that? Oh, like if it asks for half a cup of sugar. But you put a half a cup of salt. Mm. Mm. Kind yeah. of a big deal. You probably have to throw the whole batch of cookies away. Yeah, probably. And I hate food waste. Yes. One of the number one sources of wasting your money is in food waste. Makes sense. And I have, I am so proud to say that I have almost zero food waste because I plan all of my food recipes and then I buy only according to the recipe. And I'm really proud of that because like five years ago, I had a lot of food waste because just like you would make things and I wouldn't be hungry for it. Or I'd be like in the store, oh, I want to buy this random eggplant. And then, you know, I'd be like, what do I do with this? And then I would go back and I'd throw it away. And I was wasting a lot of money through food. So if the surgeon doesn't see the endometriosis and they don't remove it, then that means the endolesion is left behind in you. So it is a big deal because leaving endometriosis behind 
means leaving behind disease, so the disease is not fully treated. <gasps> and that's why you're doing the surgery in the first place, so that disease can get treated. Yes, you're paying uh, all that money because you want your disease to be treated. You don't just want them to peek and shriek and go, oh, there's endo, ah, and close you. You want you to go, you want you to do a, wait, what's something for excision? Assess and address. There you go. <laughs> or um, cuts and then butt out endo. <laughs> Cut and butt out endometriosis. I like that. <laughs> they need like, okay, we have peak and shriek for ablation. We have cut and butt for excision. Just work, <laughs> work with, with it. it. Work with it. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely true. You know, in the episode we did about appearance of endo, I mean, endo can just look like clear bumps or it can only be recognizable sometimes because of the inability to see blood vessels in a certain patch of peritoneum. Like, If a surgeon has a very well-trained eye and has done a lot of surgery and knows what to look for, the surgeon can identify all the different appearances of endometriosis. But so many surgeons cannot do that because they don't have the experience and the skill and the training to recognize endometriosis everywhere. Because endometriosis is tricky. Yeah, that it is. endometriosis wants to hide. It's Hides like, I don't want to be cut and butted, <laughs> cut and butt. I want to stay out. and lay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, wait, I want to. I want to relax and get snacks. I want to ignite and fight in this body. <laughs> ignite the pain wait, and fight you. Wait, I got one. I want to retire here and set fire here. <laughs> <laughs> That's so rude. <laughs> and yet so true. I think something that would be very fascinating to me is to take two surgeons one that claims to be expert, one that is proven to be an expert based off of their credentials, and have them do a side-by-side surgery and see who recognizes more endo. <laughs> see who excises more of the demons. <laughs> because that would be very interesting. Because if you don't know what to look for, you're not going to be excising as much tissue with endometriosis as somebody who is more qualified, more skilled, has more experience. So two very different outcomes based on the operator. Well, it's interesting because I know a lot of expert excision surgeons say that, you know, if the tissue even looks slightly abnormal, they just remove the tissue and then can be biopsied to see if it's endometriosis. And that's because tissue that may not obviously look like endo, but does appear abnormal is actually endometriosis in some cases. So when in doubt, Take it out. Love that. That's also what I say about my trash. I'm like, is it stinky? <laughs> it's hard for me to, is it stinky? I feel like yes. And when, when in doubt, doubt take, take it, it out. out. <laughs> <laughs> so to put some numbers to that, not about not my trash taking out, but because I actually sleep next to the trash can. I just want to put that out there. So my bed is next to the trash can. Of like the reach kitchen. out and touch it next to it. <laughs> <laughs> because... My apartment has a bedroom and a kitchen and then like a breakfast nook. And I sleep in the breakfast nook because I sleep in a different room than my boyfriend. Anyways, to go back to excision. So I'm obsessed with the garbage can smelling because I swear when I'm sleeping, I'll like wake up between the morning. I'll be like, the slight whiff of the garbage can can wake me up from a deep sleep. I have a very sensitive nose. Once at four in the morning, my cat got really sick and had diarrhea and the smell woke me up. Yeah, that's happened to me with my dog. So my nose, it's big. It's Italian. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe it's just our Italian noses. I've always been <laughs> told that I have sensitive. a really extra sensory smell. So <laughs> I don't think nose size actually has anything I, to I do know, with but that. It, but... It'll make us feel better. That's why our noses are so big, because it had to accommodate our really great sense of smell. <laughs> so I'm obsessed with taking out the trash. 
going back to excision, to put numbers to that, I've heard a few excision experts say that they have done studies where they've looked at any tissue that appeared abnormal. So it was tissue that didn't quite look like endo, but didn't quite look normal either. And then they removed it and they did the pathology report. Different surgeons have found anywhere between one-third to one-half of this tissue having endometriosis. So it just goes to show again that the surgeon's well-trained eye to know what to look for and to know what to consider questionable and remove is really important because many gynecologists with less experience in endometriosis miss subtle endometriosis. And endometriosis, that isn't so subtle either. To be fair. (laughs) So, in studies, which we'll talk about a little later on, or probably in part two of this episode, the rates of recurrence slash persistence really vary across the board in various studies. We're going to talk about factors of why, but one of the biggest, biggest factors in why excision recurrence slash persistent rates are so varied. I mean, we're talking like 6 to 50% or something like that. These huge differences in the rates of recurrence and persistence between surgeons. And it really comes back to this operator dependent. That is one of the biggest, biggest factors. There are other factors as well. But one of the biggest factors for rates of recurrence and persistence is the operator. And I don't mean the operator you call on the phone by pressing the number zero. (laughs) I mean the operator of the excision scalpel slash robot slash cold scissors slash. (laughs) Of course, it's going to persist or look like it's reoccurred if you never removed it in the first place. (laughs) So we want to talk for a minute about the tools that surgeons can use. And so we want to start with the robots. Ooh, robots. Domo arigato, Mr. Roboto. Domo. <laughs> We're on a real Japanese theme today. I'm feeling really nostalgic for my time in Japan. Aww, well, Domo arigato, Mr. Roboto is going to be stuck in my head now forever. So. <laughs> so in the show notes for the episode today, we linked an article that Dr. DeLumba wrote on Nancy's Nook. And Dr. DeLumba is an excision surgeon who's located in Texas. He wrote an article on Nancy's Nook on their website, which talks about the potential advantages and disadvantages of using the da Vinci robot. And I think he said that every time he's in the OR using the robot, he has that song on. (laughs) And they're doing like robotic. They're like moving their arms in the robot. Yes, as you should. (laughs) (laughs) So Dr. DeLomba has done over 3,500 standard laparoscopic cases for endometriosis and over 1,400 using the robot. And those numbers came from him in the article. And he is considered an excision expert. So the article is really interesting. If you want to read it, we just want to highlight his opinion that the da Vinci robot, (laughs) that the da Vinci robot (laughs) helps with visualization of endometriosis because of its 3D versus 2D, so three-dimensional versus two-dimensional viewing that's in the standard laparoscopy. And he states that his published and unpublished data, as well as data from other doctors, has shown that more endometriosis can be seen with the 3D. He says that when you're doing two-dimension, it's kind of like driving with one eye. 
And you could imagine how hard that would be. But you, everything looks flat. You can't really see texture in two dimension. And he says like the skilled eye does get used to it. But obviously, if you can open the other eye and have 3D visualization, then you potentially can see better. So I think the thing about two-dimensional, it can be hard to see changes in the tissue surface. So what some doctors do with two-dimensional visualization is that they drop blood on the tissue surface or they use a dye to try to see tissue changes, which is really interesting. So also the camera with the Da Vinci has magnification on it. It kind of reminds me of like you're looking in the mirror, like shaping your brows or plucking them or something like that. Just plucking your chin hairs if you have PCOS. (laughs) Why'd you have to call me out like that? (laughs) I didn't say you. You called yourself out. Well, why else would you say it? Okay. Plenty of listeners have PCOS and chin hair. Okay. Because I don't pluck my brows, but I do pluck my chin hairs every day. So, So it's kind of like that. We're like, oh, I'm good. Okay. Like things look great. And then you like, get one of those cosmetic mirrors that are like for the application of makeup and it has like the ring light around it oh, and it's God. like five times zoom and then you're like holy mother <laughs> of hairy god monster and you're like what is on my chin or why do my brows have like eighty thousand hairs in between them like that magnification is overwhelming so that's your comparison mr roboto is the <laughs> giant cosmetic ring light mirror that has me horrified by all the pores that I can now see on my face. Just as you want to pluck every single hair in your chin and not yes. miss a single one, you want to excise it even every makes single it, endometriosis lesion from your body. I can and even not see leave. every single peach fuzz, every single soft downy blonde hair. It's just like all in a hyper focus now. <sighs> it's overwhelming. Every excision surgeon's dream. not mine my nightmare (laughs) okay so should we only be looking for surgeons that use mr robato you mean robato san yes (laughs) robato san please (laughs) only you (laughs) only you for me (laughs) no so we're just pointing this out because it's just interesting like what is happening in the or what are the surgeons seeing you know and so we just want to discuss different articles that we've read but Our point here is not that you should just run to use someone who is using Mr. Roboto, who's using the Da Vinci robot. (laughs) Toe. The thing is, certain tools have advantages and disadvantages. That is for sure. But it's all about the surgeon's skill and expertise at finding and removing endometriosis, not some fancy robot tool although it is pretty fancy, and I'd love to have an excision surgeon robot that can excision surgeon my eyebrows. (laughs) (laughs) Surgically shape your eyebrows. You just, like, lay down on the operating table, and then the robot comes and just, like, plucks your eyebrows. We don't want to mislead anyone, though, with this discussion about the robot and the visualization of endometriosis. We don't want to mislead you into thinking that you need to operate with a surgeon who uses the robot because. That's not true. There are many qualified, excellent excision surgeons that do not use the Da Vinci robot toe. And they have very, very low rates of recurrence with just standard laparoscopy. It comes back, as always, to the surgeon's skill and experience with endometriosis and excision. 
I mean, think about it. If you have a really experienced surgeon who has done thousands of cases of endometriosis, who does excision surgeries every single week, who's doing a standard laparoscopy, and then you have a newer surgeon who's done much less cases, who's not doing excision surgery every week, but who uses the robot, the more experienced surgeon is probably better at identifying the various forms of endometriosis and excising it. And additionally, the the robot is a skill in itself, as is plucking your eyebrows. (laughs) Take skill to not overpluck. Excuse me, (laughs) 90s eyebrows. (laughs) I wish I had had that skill when I was 18 years old. That thin style. would not have the thin brows I have today that I have to fill in with pencil because they're all gone. I never Because I excised them (laughs) at the root, and now the root does not grow back. I wish my chin hairs would learn that lesson. <laughs> chin hairs are a different breed. They're oh, like, we will rude. always come back. Yeah, seriously. We're fueled by hormones. <laughs> Jerks. Even with using the robot, it can take 150 surgeries or more for the surgeon to become skilled at using the robot. And so really, again, it comes back to the skill. It comes back to the operator. Technology is interesting and important. And technology, I think, is you know, continuing to help us, continuing to help us advance in surgery, continuing to help us be able to visualize endometriosis better. But again, it continues to come down to the operator of the tools, whether the tool's a robot or a scalpel or cold shears or a laser or whatever it is, it comes down to the person using the tools. Can have all this fancy machinery, but it cannot drive itself. Or can it Google? What happened to those self-driving cars? Are they in use? Yeah, that Tesla, but it's going to be a Da Vinci robot next. (laughs) Self-driving robot. Self-excising robot. I'm not sure that I want that. I don't think so. I need the skill, please. Based on some, like, algorithm. No, I don't need an algorithm inside my body. Thank you. Oh, God, I'm scared. I think one of the most interesting things to know about Mr. Roboto and the laparoscopy And just in general is how technology is improving around us. And there's new findings and new things being created every day. And that's really interesting to me. And it fills me with hope, with hope that things will be more accessible. It's not exciting. It's excising. Ooh. It's exciting. We're going to change language. It's exciting. (laughs) Exciting. Wow. That's that's a mouthful. Exciting. Exciting. (laughs) It's exciting and excising. I like it. (laughs) So there was a study done in 2019, which is called the Comparison of Enhanced Laparoscopic Imaging Techniques in Endometriosis Surgery, a Diagnostic Accuracy Study. And this study was done by Merritt C. Eilier and his colleagues, and they found that, quote, enhanced laparoscopic imaging with 3D white light combined with NBI. I'll define NBI here. Please do. (laughs) MBI is a light that helps detect blood vessels associated with endometriosis. Mm -hmm. Okay, keep going. Why don't you start again, the quote? Okay. Enhanced laparoscopic imaging with 3D white light combined with NBI improves the detection rate of peritoneal endometriosis when compared to conventional 2D white light imaging. The use of these imaging techniques enables a more complete laparoscopic resection of endometriosis. End quote. Ooh. Now there's a light <laughs> at the end of our tunnel. <laughs> our tunnel is inside our body cavity. <laughs> and at the end of the tunnel, there's a pot of gold and sushi. 
All right, Brittany, so are you saying that we should all run to the surgeons? Ooh, we should all run to the light the way mosquitoes do. As you try to tickle a mosquito's <laughs> elbow, it's running to the, what What was it, 3D enhanced? The NBI. 3D white light combined with NBI light that helps detect blood vessels. You turn on that light, all the mosquitoes go. You can easily tickle. We're the mosquitoes, it's us. You can, you can easily tickle their elbows slash excise their endometriosis. Whew, these are getting complicated metaphors here. <laughs> yeah, well, you're just wrapping a metaphor in a metaphor. <laughs> So should we all run to these surgeons who are using this 3D white light technology? Well, just with Mr. Roboto, no, because it also takes skill and qualification and experience and practice to use these. Any technology takes time because you have to develop the skill to be able to use it. Then why are you telling me about it? If I'm not going to go to my excision surgeon and interrogate them, be like, excuse me, first of all, to use the robot. (laughs) Second of all, to use 3D white light technology with MBI 3, do you eat sushi? (laughs) (laughs) before surgery american or japanese american or do you get that float in from (laughs) famous markets in tokyo wow if they were like yeah i eat sushi during the surgery (laughs) every time i excise i take a celebratory if you find a grain of rice inside you it wasn't me (laughs) no i mean i think the thing that's important about it is to know that it exists though that it's happening that it's being developed that there is more technology coming out that in five, 10 years, more surgeons will be practiced and qualified with this. At the 2021 Endometriosis Summit, they had a few surgeons talking about surgical techniques and they briefly talked about lighting. And they said that enhanced surgical vision is the future of robotic surgery. I think it's so promising to just know that advances are being made because. You know, I mean, now most of us are having our surgeries, our excision surgeries done as minimally invasive. And before minimally invasive laparoscopies, they were doing the full-on laparotomy. And that's where they do a large incision down the middle of the belly. Of course, that leaves a large scar compared to the smaller scars that we have from the incisions from the minimally invasive surgery. But minimally invasive surgery led to better visualization better visualization than what they could have as surgery techniques advance in general. Excision surgery is going to continue to advance. And as we said, the most important thing about treating endo is that they can identify endo. In order to excise it, they have to identify it. In order to identify it, they have to see it. In order to see it, they have to have a well-trained eye and skills and technology is only helping with this. And so I think it's promising. I think it's offering us a lot of hope And I know excision right now is not accessible for so many of us. And excision is, you know, not equal across the board. Some of us are having excision with experts. Some of us are having excision with people who are not so well-trained. Our care is kind of all over the place right now. And I think as time goes on, our care will continue to improve. And that's really good. That's something really good for the community. I think this is a good place to leave off because we have so much to talk about and we've already been at it for an hour. Surprising. Not really. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) Brittany and I talk a lot. But I think this was a really great refresher and overview. And I know that some of you are very knowledgeable at endometriosis, but other listeners are brand new to endometriosis. So we didn't want to just jump into the excision stew without a quick refresher. In the next episode, we want to talk about the difference between 
endopersistence, and recurrence. If you're looking for a surgeon, please check out the resources on our website in 16years.com. As you know, we're also on Instagram in 16 years of endo. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time.